the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I wonder if there's anything in our life that we love more than the Lord God. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we're starting a brand new message in Genesis 22 titled, Man of God. In our study in Genesis, we compared the lives of Abraham to his nephew Lot. Now, obviously, there was a huge difference between the two. And even though they were both considered believers, Abraham proved that his walk with God was genuine. Abraham's relationship with God, it was real. Abraham's relationship was authentic. While Lot knew God, his relationship seemed weak at best. Now, why was that? Well, as you remember, Lot allowed himself to be surrounded with compromise in his life. We know that compromise will seriously damage any relationship. Consider all of humanity. How good can any relationship be if it's filled with bad compromise? If one party in a relationship is not committed to that union, if one party is not honest and fair, if one party is always wandering near the edge of sin, guess what? Problems are going to arise. Lot was totally consumed with himself. When Abraham asked him to pick where he wanted to live, Lot took the best of the land, giving Abraham what you could say was the leftovers. Yet the best of the land, the Bible tells us, was filled with a people who lived excessively wicked lives. But that didn't seem to bother Lot at all. And that, of course, was the beginning of the end of Lot. That's what opened the door to more compromise in his life. It was the beginning of the spiritual breakdown of his soul. That's what it was in his life. And it made a huge difference. But as we have seen, Abraham's life was so much more different than that. Abraham was a man who believed and he trusted God. Now, Abraham wasn't a perfect man. He was a very, he was a man that was very much like you and me, who on occasion made some very poor choices just like we make at times. He repented, though, of his sins like what we do, and God forgave him just like God forgives us. And he was able to move on. Now, here's the difference. Abraham loved God. That's what made a difference in his life. And because of that, he believed God, And he trusted God. 
Now, in his heart, Abraham only wanted to please God. And that's why God brought forth the promised son, Isaac, through the womb of Abraham's wife, Sarah, which caused Abraham, I mean, and his wife, Sarah, especially Sarah, at 90 years old, to simply laugh with joy. What else could she do? She had a baby at 90, and she fell down, and she worshiped the Lord. This is possibly one of the longest prayers ever heard that God answered. What do I mean by that? I mean, think about it. Sarah had probably been praying for a baby for who knows over 70 years of her life. I wonder how many times Sarah cried herself to sleep. Yet God chose Sarah from the foundations of the earth to be in the genealogy of the promised Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, the world knows Everyone knows who Sarah is today. I'm sure when we get to heaven, we can ask Sarah, Hey, Sarah, do you regret the fact that God didn't listen to your prayer for 70 plus years? Do you regret the fact that you cried yourself to sleep all those nights wondering, God, how come you're not hearing my prayer? Oh, God, how come you're not answering this for me? How come you won't open my womb? Are you sorry that it all played out the way that it played out? Are you sorry that, you know, it took that long? I'm sure Sarah will tell us, no, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did because I enjoyed it so much more. And it's like, as I look now, as our God used me and chose me to be this promised person, to bring this promised son into the, into the life, it's like I wouldn't change anything. Yes, we all play a part in the puzzle of life. I wonder what puzzle God has poured out for you. Maybe you don't like your life. Maybe you don't like the, the, the cards that have been dealt to you. Listen, we all have a puzzle. Now, we've seen puzzles before, right? We see those puzzles that you buy for your, like your two and three-year-old. You know, they're like 15 pieces. <laughs> Every piece is like this big. Gee, I wonder which one goes where as you're helping them try to figure it out. And, you know, it's the 15-piece puzzle. But then you get those other puzzles. And maybe that's what your life is like, the other puzzle. You know, the 3,000-piece puzzle, the one that you bring out on Thanksgiving and you put it out on the formal dining room table and and it's like you start putting the border together because it's all the flat edges and you finally get the border together and then maybe it's got a church in it or a building or a bridge and you get all those pieces put together and then there's like this much of it's like the blue sky and they all look the same. The pieces are this big and you're like, oh my goodness, my life is over. Then you finally get the whole thing built and you're missing one piece. The dog ate it. It's like, ah, you know, but it's like maybe your life is a very complicated puzzle. I understand that. But every puzzle God has a purpose in, and he had a purpose in Sarah's life. And I'm sure now that she's in heaven and she realizes what an important role she played in the genealogy of Christ, I'm sure she wouldn't have it any other way. But getting back into our text here today, Isaac was that promised son and he God gave him to Abraham and Sarah but now we're going to spring forward 20 plus years 25 maybe even 30 years and Abraham has been raising his boy with all of his heart and he's become a young man now and oh how Abraham and Sarah must have loved Isaac I can only imagine what a joy he has brought to both of them but now all of a sudden 
the cruise control is kicked into the off position. And what happens next? Something that no one would have ever expected to happen. Today now, as we continue in our study through the book of Genesis, we're going to consider three points in light of our title, A Man of God. Number one, testing real faith. Listen, if you have a faith and it's genuine and real, that faith will be tested at times. Number two, we're going to look at seeing real faith because a real faith can be seen from others. You can look at it and know that that faith is real. And number three, seeing God provide because God will always provide when he sees real faith moving. Well, let's look at our first point, testing real faith. As we read together, picking up in Genesis chapter 22, we'll of course pick up in verse 1. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, God speaking, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. What? Offer him up as a burnt offering? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Wow. This is crazy. What, like, what did we just read here? I mean, that's a mouthful to say the least. I'm sure some of you are thinking, what did God ask him to do? Why in the world would God ask Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice? This is the promised son, is it not? Did Abraham not wait 25 years for God to answer what he had told him that he was going to give him. And now God wants him to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. Know this, when something in the Bible just seems wrong, when it seems unjust or simply doesn't make any sense to us whatsoever, when something seems like totally out of God's character, we must understand that we simply don't have all the information. That there's probably some details that we're not able to see in our own physical eyesight. That's why in those times when you read something and it's like, whoa, that seems really bizarre. That seems completely out of God's character. We must understand, again, we have to go back to the first thing that we do know. And what's the first thing that we do know here? We always have to go back. Like when I'm in something, I don't get it. Why is this happening? I have to take a big step back and then I have to recognize who is God? Who is the God that I serve? Well, number one, God is a God of love. And everything that God does is always based on the big picture. 
So it's always going to be based on something bigger than what I'm seeing that's right in front of me. God's always looking at the big picture and what's best for us and our humanity. We must never jump to conclusions that God is unjust. We must never jump to the conclusion that God is unloving or simply doesn't care. I love that verse. It's in Ecclesiastes 11.5, and it says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind, oh, we feel the effects of the wind. We don't really know where it comes from. Like, how does it just happen? Like, one day, it's a normal day. Then the next day, the wind's blowing. Like, how does that happen? Where does it come from? So, just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman. So, you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. See, you don't know how that happens. How does a baby grow in the womb, uh, uh, in the womb of a woman? So science, science tells us, oh, the tadpole, you know, the birds and the bees. And they see, oh, they get to the egg. And they're all around the egg. And, like, and then finally, one gets in. Oh, man, oh, man. Okay, so once that happens, the splosis, the, the, cell, the cell splits, and it starts growing a baby. Okay, so science can tell you every step of the man. It's like, okay, this is what happens. And in four weeks, a little heart starts beating. And then, you know, it starts forming. And it gives you little pictures. So we have this whole process that science can tell you. The only thing they can't tell you is, how does it happen? How does that little tadpole in the egg, how does it happen? How does that make a life? How does that grow into a human being? How does it make eyeballs that see and a nose that smells, a mouth that tastes? How does that happen? It can't tell you that. See, that's what God's saying. You don't know where the wind came from. You don't know how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman. So you don't know what I'm doing. You don't know it. You can't figure it out. Again, it just means that that when you first read something, don't ever assume that God is ever unjust. For a man is so quick to make hasty judgments. The pandemic's come. Millions are going to die in America. Uh, Yeah, okay. So anyway, don't make quick judgments to assume the worst. Don't jump to conclusions. This is why God warns us of this attitude that man can have so quickly in judging other people. Watch out when you point your finger at someone because you have three fingers coming back at yourself. Lamentations 3.39 says this, Why should any living mortal or any man or woman offer complaint in view of your own sins? Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Meaning we had better look in the mirror at our own unrighteousness before we point our finger at God and accuse him of being unrighteous. So watch out. So let us examine our text here today together a little more carefully. Let's consider what God said in verse 1. It said that God tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. Now that word tested in the original Hebrew language means he wanted to prove. He wanted to examine. He wanted to give experience and to train Abraham. Well, that's a lot in that one little word there. See, God's purpose was to prove Abraham as a man of God. Understand, God already knows everything. 
He already knew how Abraham was going to fare in this test. He knew the outcome of the trial in Abraham's life before it ever started. But God wanted Abraham to know where his heart really stood. Maybe Abraham loved his son Isaac so much that he was questioning his own love for God. We simply don't know because we're not told. But one thing for sure, God decided to test Abraham. He wanted to prove Abraham's faith. Now, some will point their finger at God and say that God somehow was unjust in this. But know this, God did not tempt Abraham. He was proving who Abraham was. For God would never tempt a man with evil. That's why the Bible says in James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I being, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Oh, don't say when you put yourself in a place of temptation and you fall to the temptation, well, what's not my fault? You know, God gave me more than I could handle. Uh, No, you put yourself in a place that you are allured to and that entices you and you continue to walk forward in that place. God says that he'll always give us a way of escape. And sometimes the way of escape is never going to that place in the first place. And let's not miss this fact. We will all see just where Isaac's heart is in this also. It was also a test for him. Know this, God never tests beyond what God already knows is there inside of us. Consider the Canaanite woman who was seeking deliverance for her daughter. Oh, Lord, Lord, my daughter, she's demon-possessed. Lord, Lord, you have to help my daughter. She throws herself all around. She's out of her mind. Lord, Lord, come help me. She was screaming to the Lord. The disciples were, get that woman out of here. What did Jesus do? He ignored her. Yeah, just get her out. She's making too much noise. Jesus is ignoring her. Just get her out of here. She's a Canaanite woman anyway. Just, you know, throw her to the dogs. But she didn't go away. She kept on, Lord, 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 Lord. Jesus told her finally, okay, enough of this woman. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. I came for God's chosen people. That didn't shut her up. She kept moving forward. Lord, please, Lord, help me. My daughter, please help me. You mothers can understand. Pleading for your baby. Then Jesus says, I'm not going to take the children's bread And give it to the dogs. I can see the disciples. Yeah, you dog Canaanite woman. Get out of here. Kicking her to the curb. Now, the word that God uses for dogs, let's be fair here. It wasn't like some scavenger dog on the side. It was a a, a word in the Greek that's for the family dog, the puppies. God doesn't, you know, I'm not going to take from the children of Israel and give it to the puppies of the house. Got to feed the kids first, right? Wouldn't you feed your own children before you feed Fido on the side? We all love our family dog, but come on, you're going to feed your kids first, right? So then the woman says, as she continued to persist, but Lord, even the little puppies of the house, don't they eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table? Isn't that true? 
I mean, what is it with dogs? It's like they're born and they just know it. It hits the ground. It's mine. Okay. They just know it. I mean, it's like it hits the ground. My dog, I'm making my sandwich. I'm doing whatever in the kitchen. He just sits there. He doesn't even look at me. He just looks at the ground. He doesn't look, he doesn't watch what I'm doing. He just looks at the ground. Cause it's like when it hits the deck, boom, he wolfs it. Okay. He just knows. And when the grandkids come over, especially the ones that are sitting in a high chair, like when Mimi comes over, it's like, hey, food's everywhere. Food's everywhere. He's like, oh, I just love it. He's like, let the grandbabies come over, you know, cause he just knows. So when the crumbs fall to the ground, doesn't even the puppies eat the crumbs from the master's table? She said, oh, wow. That's what Jesus was looking for. He was looking for faith. He was looking for something. And where did he find it? In one of the lost sheep of Israel? Oh, no. He found it in this Canaanite woman. See, Jesus knew all along what he was going to do the whole time with this Canaanite woman. He wasn't putting up a wall to keep this Canaanite woman away, but rather he was building a bridge to her to draw her closer to prove her faith. And she walked through with flying colors. He was going to heal her daughter the whole time, but he wanted to show everyone. Maybe, just maybe, it was a test for the disciples who said, yeah, we're Jews, we're the chosen people of God. Get this Canaanite dog out of here. And Jesus turns it back on him and says, oh no, I came for her too. And all of a sudden, whoa, he's healing this woman's daughter and drawing this demon out. I wonder, do you feel Jesus is not paying enough attention to you? Are your trials making no sense to you? Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, there is a deeper, more spiritual lesson for you to learn that you have not chosen to learn? You've been in this trial for years, decades. Maybe there's something that God wants to teach you that you just haven't simply wanted to learn. Maybe if you take your eyes off of the problem and put your eyes solely on the Lord, maybe you will see that the Lord is trying to draw something so much deeper out of us. And that's exactly what he was doing with the Canaanite woman. And it's exactly what he's doing with Abraham. Notice God told Abraham to go to Mount Moriah. This is quite incredible. And why is that? Because this is the beginning of an awesome picture, a snapshot that God is going to paint for us for the future. For this is also the place where David repented of his sin of numbering the people. Remember, he pulled the census. It was, why was it so bad to do the census with David? Because he was boasting in the might of his military. Look how powerful I am. Look how big my army is. And God sent the angel of death and killed 70,000 people because of the sin of David. Finally, David's like, oh, my goodness, I, on my face, oh, God, what, what have I done? I, I've sinned greatly. People are dying. Oh, my goodness. He went up to Mount Moriah to the top. There was a guy named Ornan there. He goes, I want to buy your cattle. I want to buy this wood. I'm going to build an altar for the Lord and sacrifice these cows to the Lord. And Ornan said, hey, you're the king, man. You can just have it all. David says, you're not going to give it to me. 
I will not give to the Lord what costs me nothing. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm paying you full price for everything. I'm buying the land, the cattle, the wood. I'm giving you full pop for everything. I'm not going to give God what doesn't cost me. And he bought it all for the Lord. He purchased it. He made a sacrifice there. Then years later, it was David's son Solomon that went on to fulfill David's dream of building a temple for the Lord. And where did he build it? Right there. Same place. Second Chronicles 3, 1 says, Then Solomon, David's son, began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusites. But here, way earlier, years earlier, hundreds of years earlier, there's a question from God. Abraham, do you love your son Isaac more than you love me? That's all the time we have for today's message. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.